Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for listening to the JP Money Podcast. And today we are meeting with one of my favorite guests and people on the planet, my little brother, Austin. Austin is a special guy. He's been through a couple different jobs and I wanted him to share his experience through you know, what he learned in college into where he went in the professional world because he's been a lot of places and done a lot of things. And I have a, a lot of respect for Austin because his personality shines when you meet him. I don't think there's anyone that knows Austin that has anything negative to say about his personality and the way that he carries himself. In fact, me as his older brother, I'm envious of the persona that Austin has and how he carries himself in public. I mean, this is a kid who had the confidence in high school to rent out a local hotel, a hotel ballroom, I believe, host a party, market it to his whole sort of high school and bring all these kids out and charge, you know, five, ten dollars at the door to get all these people in. He might have even hired a DJ. I'm not sure all the details. And at some point, party got shut down and he had to get out of there. It's kind of a funny story if you ever ask him about it, but just the marketing and business acumen that this young man has, has always been sort of a highlight of, of who he is and what he's able to, to do. And he's also a kid who cares deeply about his uh, relationships and his connections with other people. One of my favorite moments of Austin in high school was when I was in college, I came back to watch one of his senior year high school games, one of his opening games. He's playing down in South Bend, Indiana against a really good team. And Austin's basketball team was pretty good. There was a lot of kids in his grade that were solid basketball players. Austin had made a couple shots at the beginning of the game. His team had all the momentum and the other team called the timeout. And one of Austin's good friends, Matthew, Matthew ran up to Austin as a good teammate does, you know, gives him a, a chest bump, a high five. And Matthew put his arm around Austin and he looked up in the crowd to where me and my family was, was sitting, which was you know, pretty high. If you've ever been to Indiana, you know that that's basketball mania down there. So our seats were way up at the top and, and Matthew had pointed way up to us to just kind of soak in the moment of Austin's senior year high school basketball team. And you just see this huge grin on Austin's face as he's taken in this moment with his high school teammates and with his family. And that's just the kind of guy Austin is. That's the kind of guy uh, that Matthew and his, the rest of his teammates were. He's always been all about community and being with other people. So we're going to learn his tricks of the trade today. With that being said, let's jump into The Road Less Traveled. getting into today's episode today we have a very special guest with us my little brother austin austin how's it going big guy good happy to be here jordan so tell me about tell me about your college experience where'd you go to college and how did that go for you yeah so i went to school at calvin college up in grand rapids michigan i played basketball there for four years mm-hmm. a division three school and i studied business that has a in a double concentration, so to speak, in marketing and human resource management. So I graduated in 2016. So I've been out of school now for about six years, Mm -hmm. just over. You went to school, you said you got a degree in business and minor in theater? Yeah, I was was a theater minor too. I actually, um, I didn't take one course, so it's not officially on my resume, but I took 
nine yeah. of the 10 that you were supposed to, but the last one would have brought my GPA down. So I decided it was more important to not take it and keep my GPA high <laughs> rather than have that theater minor. Was it a hard class or something like that? It was, <laughs> like it a... was, it was like the history of ancient theater. It was a 400 level course. It sounds intense. It, yeah. And it, it, I had heard from my other theatrical classmates that it was just one that was not worth even taking for your own mindset so all right which is ironic though because you kind of put initially your theater minor if you will minus one class Mm -hmm. to more use than your business class so i mean what what is what you finished the year you were an athlete as you said at kelvin so you know you're pretty busy between your classes Mm -hmm. and your sports Mm -hmm. you graduate you don't go into a typical business job what'd you end up doing Yeah. So I moved out to Los Angeles after school. I'd always had a childhood dream of becoming a working actor. And so I saved up my money, um, made out a a one-year plan, a a five-year plan, a 10-year plan to to get out to Los Angeles and pursue that, which I always wanted to do. And so after school, moved out there, um, gave it a year, went well, went better than expected, had had some minor success in in little roles and things like that. I think I could have made it work, but it was definitely going to take some time. And at the young age of 23, I looked myself in the mirror and and told myself that it was not worth spending another five to 10 years, four and a half hour, four and a half hour plane ride from my family for a chance that it wouldn't work. I didn't love it Mm -hmm. that much. And I had some good alternatives to be able to come back home. So I made that decision to come back home. What was the biggest difference between life in Grand Rapids, Michigan as a 21, 22 year old to a kid in Los Angeles as a 23, 24 year old. Yeah. Well, Grand Rapids and West Michigan in general, it's, it's known for having a little bubble. And so when I moved out to LA, especially being from my small town, hometown of Niles, Michigan, it really opened your eyes that there's so many different cultures and types of people and worldviews and ideologies and all those sorts of things. Really, that's the biggest difference that it's a melting pot. You, you get a little bit of everything. And I think that's a a really good experience for anyone to have. And it was a really good experience for me to get when I was 22, 23 years old. I think a lot of people would love to trade places with you too, to have an opportunity to go out to Los Angeles early on. A lot of people are too nervous. I feel like to try something new and yeah. do you regret it? I do not. No, I'd go back and do it 10 out of 10 times, but I'm thankful that I had a little bit of nerve as a 22 year old to not realize maybe the big jump that I was doing. Cause as you know, I love, Los Angeles. I'm a huge Los Angeles fan. I've only been there twice. Both times were to visit you. Yeah, we had some uh, good times. We saw it. We had some real good times. We had the, the taco uh, truck was incredible. The taco truck was good. We saw La La Land Perfect when it timing. first came out. Which, if if our audience isn't familiar, that's a film with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. Yeah, it's a love story. It's a musical at the same time, and it's about L.A. Yeah, it was, hence the title. It was kind La of La about Land. my life. And hey, you know, I'm Ryan Gosling. Have you ever seen the movie? He's it's a sad ending, and I pretty much had that same experience myself. <laughs> as far as the acting career goes, yeah. yeah. yeah he was an aspiring musician, right? Yeah, well, right. he, yeah, correct. But the love story. They both went their different ways because they wanted to pursue their own dreams. But it was kind of a beautiful ending, too. It was. You know, you know, you know that's smirk. That's what. So... Fast forward a little bit after that. So you go to Los Angeles. You spend, what, two years there total? I was just a year. 
Okay. Just one year. One year. Yeah. And then you come back and you just, just found a job here and that's what brought you back here? Yeah. So when I moved back, it was kind of perfect timing with a few of my best friends from college. Um, a couple of them were a year younger than me and they had graduated. Another one had moved back home and we were all looking to get back to Grand Rapids. So it was me and three other uh, friends. Shout out to Nate, Brandon, and Joey. And we all were kind of perfect timing looking to get a spot. And so I knew when I moved back from Los Angeles, I couldn't come back to my small hometown of Niles. So I wanted to get back to my college town where I had friends who were still going out and at least is, is a bit of a bigger city. And it was just good timing between the three of us. We all found a, a townhouse and I got back up to Grand Rapids and I, I had about $500 in my bank account. And I just took the chance without having a job of getting back up there and mm-hmm. betting on myself that I'd be able to find something. Oh, so you didn't have your job when you first no, came back? No, I didn't have a job at all. How'd you stumble upon it? When I moved back to Grand Rapids, I actually wanted to still work somehow in the entertainment industry, but there wasn't a whole lot there at the time in 2017. Now there's a lot, everything at all cities have transitioned much more digitally and there's more e-commerce and fashion and all those sorts of things all over. But at the time in 2017, everything was still up and coming in that yeah. right. And so COVID hadn't hit yet. Correct. Still a couple years out from that. Correct. When I had gotten back up to Grand Rapids, I tried desperately to find a job and I was doing some side work and I'd still driven, drove Lyft yeah. to make some side money. I actually borrowed $400 from my mom. I got, I got down to about no money in my bank account. I borrowed $400 from my mother. And I borrowed $400 from my older sister, Megan, and told them that I would pay them back once I found a job. And I was up there for about just over two months until I found my first job at Pella Windows and Doors. Yeah. Did you pay them back? Did you give them I did pay them back. I did. I did. God I bless I did. Brenda Parks. She's yeah. always there when you need her. Hey, I got a great mother. And I remember you telling me, I think when you were in Los Angeles, so you made this this money from Lyft and Uber. And then come April 15th, you're filing for your taxes. And you were hit with a tax bill that maybe wasn't totally unexpected. I'm sure you knew you were going to pay some taxes. Can you refresh me? On, I mean, were you setting aside like some of your income because you don't have an employer that's withholding your right. you know, money for your taxes, correct? Correct. So you had to kind of save out of pocket for that, correct? C- correct, yeah. right. And I, I did not, uh, I just had at the time my checkings and savings account. And so I, I knew that there was going to be a time that came when I filed my taxes that I was going to have to pay on them, but I didn't. And in hindsight, I wish I would have taken out every paycheck, you know, a hundred bucks or 200 bucks or whatever it was in anticipation for that. I just had my surplus of money in my checkings account. And I knew that when the time came, I'd write a check for a thousand dollars or whatever it was. I can't remember now. Yeah. And it's really interesting because most people who find their first job, it's usually through an employer and then the employer is withholding funds on your behalf to pay for for taxes you know it's a good thing i think for people to remember that are working extra jobs and you weren't just making you know a couple hundred bucks here and there that in addition to the maybe supplemental income you're making through your acting gigs that mm-hmm. was your primary source of income so it was probably i would assume thousands of dollars that was coming in yeah from driving so you get back to, to Grand Rapids, you find the Pella windows and doors job. You held that for altogether two, three, four years. Well, so I had, I was there for two years. Um, and, and after two years, I still, I wanted to move out of Grand Rapids was my main motivation to get to a bigger market such as Chicago or Nashville. And at the time I had a girlfriend in Washington, DC. So that was on my mind as well. And so I had quit that job left on, on good 
good terms with the girlfriend or with the job with, with, the, job. with the job with okay. the job not with the girlfriend no not with the girlfriend no we were, the girlfriend and i were still together um but i moved back to my hometown just for the holidays it made sense in the job to i made all my money from march to november so i quit my job in december came home for the holidays as you know our father had had gotten to the hospital for about a month there so it stuck me around my hometown for a little mm -hmm. bit longer as i was trying to find a job and i was applying and interviewing and then COVID hit um, was this at the time of the open heart surgery the dad had? Yes, yeah, so yeah. we had two. He it's was pretty intense. Yeah, he was in, well. He had the he was in the hospital for a month right after Christmas. That wasn't, and then end of January or like February, I started yeah. applying and interviewing, and then COVID hit. And right when COVID hit, he had his heart attack, and was then put followed in, up followed with up the that. Yeah, so it was just kind of a, a weird four months that I wasn't working, nor did I want to work due to the circumstances, nor could I have found a job after COVID hit because everything shut down. And then at the time it was, hey, it's going to be two weeks that we're out. And so we waited two weeks and then all of a sudden it was going to be a month. And then it was, well, maybe by June. And then by June, it was maybe it was August that you'd be able to start working again. And my girlfriend who was in Washington, D.C. at the time had moved back to Kalamazoo, Michigan, where she was from. And so it made sense for us to to me to stay in Niles so I could be closer to her I could be closer to my dad I was with my my mother at the time living and so it just made sense for me to stay and not work and I had saved up some money by that time then when COVID started to slow down a little bit I knew I needed to get a job after not working for about 10 months Pella had reached back out said they were doing better than ever and would love for me to come back and help out because they were a little overwhelmed so I was again lucky that I left on good terms and then moved back up to Grand Rapids about a year after that and worked for them for another year um, until this past February and left them and took a new job. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that new job here in a minute, but I just want to clarify a couple things about Pella. First, excellent life lesson and financial lesson when you leave employment to leave on good terms, mm -hmm. right? I think that a lot of times if something doesn't go our way in our job, we get maybe bitter with our boss and then we're just like, I'm gone, I'm leaving. Nine times out of 10, those are the people you're going to be turning to to give you a reference or your new employer is going to be calling your old employer to ask them what you're mm -hmm. like. Never a good idea to, to burn bridges when it comes to leaving employment. That's just a good lesson on professionalism. So good for you that that worked out. Yeah. And, um, I, and I, I think to that point too, it's a, I know I talked about it earlier, but it's a blessing to have a good pair of a, a good set of parents, you know, who set a foundation in you because it's not just the workforce, right? That you want to leave on good terms with in all relationships, you want to leave them a little bit better than where you started. And so I think that's just a, uh, it wasn't necessarily intentional on my end, thinking that down the road, it could benefit me. It's just a, something within myself that was instilled in me through my parents and my good family to always try and leave any sort of situation on good terms. So. Absolutely. Like little footprints that you're leaving behind, they're going to end up following you everywhere you go. You're a pretty humble guy, so you wouldn't say this, but you mentioned leaving on good terms with Pella. I would assume that that's a pretty easy thing for both parties to do because you were a really good employee. Correct me if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you win an award or something? You, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I had, I had some success again. I, Pella was a good, the Grand Rapids branch that I worked out of was a great branch. And so we were all successful in our own right. In my personal situation, I had good success because I had a good team and I had good, good mentors and was able, had a good time with the economy, be able to sell. So, so do you just have like this really big passion for windows? No, 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 not at all. So you knew nothing about windows and doors oh, and no. then you went into this job and were what I would consider very successful 
in the job, at least mm-hmm. to the point where the employer really didn't want to lose you. Yeah. So, so what made you so good at it? Um, that's a great question, Jordan. I mean, it's sales, right? You're yeah, going it's, into homes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sales. So and you're showing your so, products. I, I mean, I think it's a combination of things. One, we had a good product. We had a good name, a good brand that we stood for. And so I personally, I, I mean, I had felt, and I feel this way, I guess, about myself in any price sales situation, because I wouldn't sell a product that I don't believe in or a service that I don't believe in. On my end, as long as I understand the product, as long as I have a proper sales process, and I can build rapport with the customer, I felt like I should be able to sell every single appointment that I walked into. Is this something where you're like conversing back and forth with the person or does the sale happen in like 30 minutes? You sit down, you show it to them. And yeah, you it, it comes, it come, it, it's all different ways. And so they set up our appointments, you know, so I, I'd be walking into a house that had called us out there. So it wasn't like I was cold calling and I was doing that sort of thing. These were customers that already had at least a little bit of intention of wanting new windows or doors or they needed them somehow. Mm-hmm. And so... On my end, I think I found my success. I was very strong on being able to build rapport. So when I was able to walk into a house, I think I could make a customer feel comfortable enough that they trusted that I was giving them the best possible knowledge that they could receive. And in addition to that, we had a really good product, a Pella window and Pella door, and we had a array of products. So I wasn't just selling one thing to them. I had eight different options for them to choose from. It was a matter of finding the best product for their house, for their budget, and for their circumstance. Mm-hmm. And so I felt that I built a good enough rapport and I had a good enough understanding of the customers and where they were coming from to make whatever option work for them. Did you ever run into the issue of like, they thought that the window or the door was going to be $2,000 and you're like, sorry, it's it's $30,000. Oh, a yeah. Lot more than what you thought yeah. it was going to be. Yeah, all the time. And that's sale. I mean, and that's sales for you. I mean, you, you know, some customers are unaware. Some some thought that it would be more, you know, it was $20,000. And they was like, wow, I thought it was going to be 40. This is great. Here's the check rate right now. And so you, you run into everything. And I think that's the roller coaster of sales. You have to be able to to shake off the ones that just didn't make sense and just let them go and say, hey, they spent an hour there. There's nothing else that I could have done. You also need to have the ability to look yourself in the mirror and say, what could I have done to have made that sale was there? And then when you're, when you sell a lot or you're in a hot streak, you need to be able to say, Hey, this ride this wave, but Mm -hmm. you never know. It could just be that you ran into five customers that were ready to buy. You have to be able to have a neutral mindset in sales while Mm -hmm. again, going through your sales process and building rapport and doing those sorts of things. And I imagine you got to be able to take losses every once in a while. I mean, you can't, convince someone to buy a $30,000 window that they thought was $2,000. Correct. At some point, you're probably wasting your, your time and your energy. No offense to the people. Yeah, correct. And in, in my background in athletics and especially playing collegiate basketball, I had lost or been yelled at a million times in my life. And so I could handle rejection where there's some people that can't. I think the best salespeople are able to Again, accept rejection, maybe look in the mirror and see what they could have done better. But ultimately, <clears throat> yeah, be able to take no's and, and again, to your point, maybe waste a little bit of time. But it's it's a numbers game and it's you have to do what you have to do, you know. So what I'm hearing is that in sales, you have your maybe 
30% of jobs that are easy sells. They already want the window. You're just basically picking it out for them and explaining to them why it's the best fit. You get maybe 30% that are automatic no's. They're just not prepared. Mm-hmm. That's really that middle 30 or 40% where, you know, the the $50,000 a year person becomes $150,000 a year person trying to, and you're telling me that the common denominator is building rapport, building the trust between you and the person, and then having a really strong foundation of knowledge that builds that sale. Is that what I'm hearing? Correct. Yep. That a pretty fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah. And you need to be able to approach a hundred percent of the sales with the idea that these guys have the intention or these people, people yeah. well, it's a married couple, married couple that I say guys loosely yeah. that they have the intentions to buy and you treat everyone with the same respect because I walked into houses at Pella that were, it was a broken down trailer unit and they spent six, $7,000 replacing windows in a trailer that couldn't have cost more than five or $6,000 itself. Right. And I walked, I've walked into a million dollar house and told them that their patio door was going to be $5,000 and they kicked me out and said that, you know, and so <laughs> you're out of here. Yeah. You get yeah. in the $5,000 pool. So yeah, you just, I mean, you, you treat everybody with the same respect. You never know. You let the cards fall where they may. So last note here on Pelham that I just wanted to touch briefly on your new job. And then I'm going to let you go. I have always been a teacher. So I've always gotten two paychecks, you know, month, really consistent income, fixed income over the years and exactly what's coming in makes budgeting easy, makes planning easy. Yours was quite different than that. Can you just so maybe somebody that's listening that's going into sales, what should they expect? At least what was your experience at Pella as far as your commissions and your income went? Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's several different ways to go about how you get paid in, in sales. And so the way mine was set up at Pella was we had a draw a $30,000 draw, which isn't the same thing as a base, but it's kind of the same idea. So they paid us every two weeks as if we made $30,000. So you get the $700, $800 paycheck every two weeks, just so that you can pay your bills and do those sorts of things. But your commission check at the end of the month takes out that draw. Mm -hmm. It deducts that draw. So if I made $5,000 in commission, instead of me getting a, at the end of the month, instead of me making $5,000, I would have made 5,000, but then minus the two 700s. So mm-hmm. I actually would have got a, you know, a $3,600 check or whatever it may have been. Other sales jobs have a untapped commission. So the more I sold, obviously the more I would make, mm-hmm. which I love myself. And, and again, the athlete in me, because I could wake up every morning and I, I could not make anything and I could, or I could make $3,000 in one day if I sold a fifty sixty thousand $60,000 job house full of windows or doors. So I really like that because it made me feel yeah. better when I spent money, you know, and then the next day I'm like, all right, you well, make it's time for me to go make yeah. it back up. And it, kept, and it kept me motivated. So I like that, but some people wouldn't prefer that. It's kind of an inner game or inner competition that you have within yourself, sort of. Yeah. What was the most memorable sale that you made? I, I don't know that I have a favorite. I have to think more on that one. I know that one of my first big jobs that I sold was about a $40,000 job. And it was an older couple out on a house on a lake. And they had six patio doors, so sliding glass doors. I'm sure you know what those are. They had six of them on a back patio that went around. And it's a funny old 65, 70-year-old man, kind of a country guy. And and he was like, nah, I want the best you got. It gets hot as hell, you know, in here. And he wanted the shades between the glass, a triple pane, everything involved. So our most expensive product. And he's like, I'm, I know it'll be expensive. You know, for the six of them, it'll probably be like, you know, $5,000. And I was like, Oh no, man, like <laughs> That's these six are going to be about 40,000, you yeah. know? 
And so in the, in that job, you know, he, I'm trying to like price project the price a little bit on him throughout the course. So he knows like, no, well, this adds another 700. This is going to be another two, you know, and keep trying to add it up. And then at the end of it, you know, he mentioned he thought it was be like $5,000. I was like, oh no, I did a terrible job. This entire appointment trying to price prepare you. And I told him, I was like, yo, it's going to be $39,500. All right, well, honey, get the checkbook. You know, so got the check and wrote it out. And then they came and they and they bought it, wrote a check in full for thirty nine thousand five hundred or whatever it was. Wow. And then liked got the doors installed two months later, liked it so much. He got the rest of the windows done, which is about another thirty thousand dollars with our most expensive windows. Um, <laughs> after they got those ones in, they came back and did their second house, another forty thousand dollars job. So they they spent See, money doesn't just buy you a better life, better food, better cars. It also makes you a better person. I mean. 100, $110,000, $120,000. So just from them, I probably made eight or nine grand just from those guys. Yeah, that's which, so funny. Yeah, which is cool. He was expecting to spend $5,000 and walk And if you would have seen him, I mean, he was like, yeah, he was, he was your yeah. typical old kind of country countryman. First person you would have thought, oh, no, get out of my house, son. You know what I mean? Right. Thanks but, for filling us in on the window sales business. So yeah, just man. to kind of close up your your biography here, as far as your job and employment goes, you've transitioned now from Pella back to South Bend, Indiana, Niles, Michigan, sort of your hometown. Mm -hmm. And what went into that decision? How did you come about the new job? And what are you doing? And how's the change been going? Yeah, so post COVID, so many jobs, right, have had the flexibility to be remote, or at least somewhat be at home. And my job at Pella couldn't do that. And so I had wanted a job, my main motivation for a job was to be able to live where I wanted. Obviously, I want to make enough money that I can support myself. But really, I wanted the flexibility to be able to live where I want. If I want to be in Chicago for three months, I could go to Chicago. If I wanted to come home for a month during Christmas, I could come home for a month. If I wanted to spend two weeks during the 4th of July on a lake in Northern Michigan, I could do that. And so I got a job in insurance back here in my hometown in Niles and in South Bend. I know the senior vice president of the company, and he had reached out about a year ago with an opportunity that was going to come on the horizon. And when it came about, he reached out and I interviewed and did those sorts of things and ultimately got the job. Um, so I'm working in insurance now. I've been doing that for about three months. And he's he's got a new book out too. Your senior vice president. He does. Him a quick plug. He does. Pat yeah. Tui, Patrick Tui. Yep. Patrick Tui. The book is called Create Forever Teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll link up the in the notes to the show if you just want to click right on it. Yeah. Take you to the Amazon yeah. link for it. It's a great book. We've um, yeah, read through it. I got my autographed signed copy of it. It's doing really well. Oh, really yeah, successful. Sure Te- it. Teaches a lot of good lessons. You know, it's. It's uh, it's curated to to young athletes and, and the parents and, and the psychology mm-hmm. behind being an incredible teammate and the love that you can express through that. But really, a lot of its its foundation and its and its basic principles can apply to the workforce too, you know, and finance and, and and all those sorts of things. This is exactly what I've been waiting for. This is exactly I don't mean to sound like Cat Williams, but this is exactly what I've been waiting for. And so for this new job, what it, what it actually is, the nuts and bolts of what you're doing? You're- I, I sell what's called Fidelity Bond Insurance, which is which is crime insurance, then management professional liability insurance, um, work comp, and a couple other insurances. But we work strictly with, with credit unions okay. for the most part. And so we're an independent agent, so not a, not a broker, an independent agent. 4,000 or so credit unions across the United States, we help bid their insurance policies if they were to ever 
get hacked into if there was a security breach um if someone slipped and fell and they got sued for having you know an icy sidewalk mm-hmm. a thousand different scenarios that could happen but we sell the insurance um if their place burned down and we you know we sell their property and casualty insurance and all those different things so once you finish up your training eventually you'll be going into credit unions talking face to face with the workers there and selling them this product correct correct so fidelity bond insurance is mandated by the national credit union association that mm-hmm. credit so unions have, have to have, to have that yeah. yeah so and we're one of two so us and, and another company are kind of the two major providers of that insurance there's some small independent ones that work with maybe smaller credit unions but for the most part all four thousand plus credit unions know our name and so once i get done with my training they typically have those insuring agreements for at an annual basis or a three-year basis. So once they're up for renewal, they typically bid it out and say, all right, let's, let's see who can get us the best quote and coverage for all those different insurances. And so I would be the one to go out there, yes, and say, here's what we can provide for you. Here's how why our service is better. Ultimately, try and sell them the insurance agreements. Thank you for being on this podcast with me today. I think one reason why I wanted to call you on the, on the podcast here was because you have a very sort of innate skilled ability to communicate with other people. And I don't think that that's something that you learned from your college classes. I mean, you look at from driving lift and acting in Los Angeles to selling windows when you didn't know anything about windows, you've to now potentially traveling around the whole country, meeting with credit unions, something you knew nothing about just six, 12 months ago, all that kind of boils down to you have the self-confidence to make that and do that through just your innate ability to communicate with other people. So thanks for breaking down those skills for us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. All right, Austin. I always like to close the show with my guests with three questions. Question number one, what's the best financial book that you've read? Ooh, I've read a couple of good ones. I'd probably say I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sethi. Yeah. Ramit. I automated a lot of my stuff because of him. Yeah, he's he's all about systems, getting yeah, the right systems like in systems. a place. To... Question number two, what's your favorite movie? If I had to choose, I'd probably say Remember the Titans. Ooh, my all-time Coach, favorite movie. Coach Boone, Coach Herman Boone. Boone. Herman Boone. I don't yes. dance unless I hear music. I don't get intimidated. That's just the way it is. Hey, yeah, that's definitely not, <laughs> it's definitely not the quote, but it was close. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Close. I want you to tell me something about one of your black teammates. Sir, yes, sir. I'm rooming with Blue, sir, and I noticed that he wears those leopard-spotted underwears, bikini style, sir. Okay, maybe somebody who's not your woman. Third question. I suddenly don't like that movie as much. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's a bad quote. Poor, poorly executed usage of the quote. Teasing, yeah. Yeah. You know what part I love in that movie? It's funny. Petey? Uh, no, not Petey. Sunshine, sunshine. Yeah. And then he kisses the guy in the locker room, Gary yeah. Bertier, yeah. and he like punches him in the face. Yeah, uh, it's just like, that's yeah, just funny. And then the last question is, I want you to pretend that you are 100% financially independent. You have all the money you need to live the rest of your life without even thinking about working. Yes. Describe your perfect day. I would have a house... On Lake Michigan, my perfect day, I'd be able to wake up and go get a workout in with any of my brothers or friends fairly early, come back to the house and be able to lay out by the lake, beach, slash go on a boat, something along those lines. Maybe play a little bit of backyard football or baseball, shoot a little hoops in the driveway, and have a nice big cookout with all my family and friends on Lake Michigan. 
and watch the sunset. So that's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the JP Money Show. Please follow me on Twitter at, at the JP Money Show. And thank you so much for listening to Austin. Please give us a follow on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts to. And thanks for listening to today's episode. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Jordan here, the host of the JP Money Show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please share it with others if you found it useful or helpful. And remember, this is not intended to be financial advice. You should consult a professional financial advisor to help you run the numbers and look at your own personal financial situation.